Hello everyone, home is where the heart is. The heartful interaction between parents and their children sets the foundation for the people our children will turn out to be. Home is a show where we will be exploring on how parents can navigate the realities of raising our future leaders. My name is Eva Christodoulou and I'm with the research and development team here in Leaderonomics. Welcome home. Today we're going to be talking about the importance of developing intelligence uh, in children. And to cover this topic, I have here with me at the studio Dr. Go Chi Leong, uh, CEO of Real Education. Uh, Dr. Go, welcome to our studio. Thank you. It's good to be here. Dr. Go, how do you define intelligence? Well, I think uh, a good analogy is that intelligence is like the power of the engine of your car. All right. And knowledge is a bit like mileage of your car. So intelligence is not to be confused with how much a person knows because that's sort of how far your car has traveled. Intelligence is really about the power of the car engine in terms of how fast the cars can go. And so, you know, bringing it back to, to the brain, it's about brain power. It's about how fast the brain is able to process information. So often intelligence, uh, you know, is connected to speed, speed of processing speed of being able to absorb information, learn information, analyze information, evaluate information. And so you, you've got various IQ tests, but basically it comes down to that, you know, that brain power is about, you know, how fast somebody is able to process information and dissect information. Right. And, and when we talk about intelligence, I suppose the most common one that everyone is familiar with is IQ, uh, intelligence caution. But uh, how are there any other types of intelligence? I believe uh, there are multiple intelligences that people are talking about. Well, that, that was an interesting debate because you're right. I mean, uh, for a long time, uh, people talked about IQ in the way I've described earlier. It was about brain power and how the brain processes information. And for a long time, I mean, uh, the prevalent theory in psychology uh, was uh, the G theory of intelligence that was general intelligence. The idea that, well, look, I mean, if, if you were good at processing some kinds of information, then you're also good at processing other kinds of information. And that was really one kind of intelligence. And then uh, a gentleman called Howard Gardner came along and he then uh, argued for multiple intelligences. And he talked about the fact that, well, look, you know, maybe uh, different people, you know, they are faster at processing different kinds of information. So he talked about things like logical, mathematical intelligence, linguistic intelligence, uh, you know, uh, motor coordination, emotional intelligence, you know, so uh, different forms of intelligence. So I think, again, there's still a debate that is raging, you know, that there are some psychologists who say, no, 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 it's, it's all really just one, part of one general form of intelligence. And there are others who would support Gartner's idea of the fact that there are different forms of different intelligence. And, and does it mean that being good in one um, type of intelligence, you may not be that great in others? Or can you be uh, good in multiple intelligences? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say the reason why the debate is still raging is because I think the evidence is mixed. You know, So you do have individuals that tend to be better at one form of information processing and, and poor at others, you know. So, I mean, the, the classic example of, I mean, some people are excellent in math and science, you know. They're not necessarily the most creative, you know, people or, or the most artistic people. And then you've got people who are good at music, you know, who are not necessarily good at, at languages. People who are good at languages, but they don't like science, you know. So, I, I, I they are certainly, I think, enough anecdotal evidence that suggests to us that there may be differences. Now, at the same time, there's also, you know, uh, 
examples of people who are good at everything, you know, and, and, and for example, a lot of research has indicated there's a correlation between people who are good at music and people who are good, good at math. You know, and, and uh, so I, again, I, I think it's, it's still a raging debate. I think it's still an ongoing debate. Now, of course, as parents and educators, you know, um, I, I think, you know, what is important for us to understand is the fact that uh, there are different forms of intelligence that exist, uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, our, our role is really to try to encourage these different forms of intelligences. And, and the, the, the fact that while some students or children may not be strong at everything, it doesn't mean that they don't have a particular gift or talent in, in one area. And it's about helping them identify, you know, I mean, what, what is that, that one or two areas that they, they, you know, show high potential for. You, you talked about gift of cha- of uh, gift or uh, talent uh, right now. Uh, to what extent are these intelligences innate, and to which extent can we actually develop in our children? So th- there is strong evidence that I mean, uh, a part of the potential in terms of intelligence is innate. You know, I mean, it is it is inborn. It's biological. But I mean, there's also enough evidence to suggest that there is a large part of it that is influenced by the environment. You know. And so we would say, uh, like any kind of talent or gift or ability, um, you may be born with a certain potential, but the potential is not fulfilled unless the environment gives you an opportunity to exercise that potential. So for example, uh, you know, I mean, I may be born with a high level of IQ, but I mean, if I'm in an environment where I have no access to books, I have no access to education, uh, it is not an environment that stimulates me to think, to explore, then I mean, we would say that that potential goes unfulfilled. Right. You know, in the same way as, yeah, I mean, you may be born with the gifts of a Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo in football, but I mean, if you grow up in a part of the world where there is no football, or your parents never allowed you to play football, then again, we would say that that potential is unrealized. So, um, you know, the focus I think for parents and for educators is on okay, how do we actually fulfill the potential and how do we focus on the nurture, on the environment? I mean, there's not a lot you can do about the biology. So we would say, you know, uh, yes, the biology contributes to intelligence, but it's no point focusing on that because that's a given. Uh, that's the DNA. Uh, it's really for us to focus on, you know, what we can do to create a stimulating environment in order for the child to develop their intelligence. All right. And um, many studies have shown that uh, it's uh, much easier to develop intelligences much earlier on in life. Why is that so? Why is it so much easier to do it during childhood? Well, they, they, they talk about a concept called brain plasticity, the idea that, you know, uh, the brain is adapting and learning. So uh, while it's true throughout our whole life, it's possible to learn new things. So I, I want to start by saying that um, you know, it's important to realize that the brain is adaptable and plastic enough that even up to the age of 100 plus, you could still be learning new things. Now, having said that, most research indicate that the, the plasticity is at its highest level when children are younger. And so there are critical periods to learn different things. And, and um, you know, uh, for example, language is, is a classic example of brain plasticity, the idea that uh, most psychologists would argue, depending on the, uh, the, 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 the different language skills, the first 10, 12 years of life, a lot easier to learn a new language, uh, whether it's, it's the phonetic structure, the sounds, uh, the comprehension, the words, 
the ability to pronounce a certain language. Uh, so whether it's comprehension or production, the first 10, 12 years of life, language is a lot easier to learn compared to, let's say, when you're 30 or 40 or 50. Now, it doesn't mean you can't learn a language at 50, but it's faster if you learned it when you were young. So I think similarly, there are uh, a lot of foundations of intelligence that are built at a younger age. Now, again, that's not to say that you know, it's too late when we are older or it's too late you know, if you are a late teenager or a young adult or a middle-aged adult to develop your intelligence. In fact, uh, I think the best analogy for me is that intelligence is like a muscle in the body. So uh, we say, you know, to, to develop a muscle, running, swimming, you know, climbing. Now, it's a lot easier to teach that to young children because they are at an age where they are learning new skills. But having said that, I mean, you know, if you stop exercising your muscles and you didn't go jogging, for example, for five years, I mean, the leg muscles still will grow weak. You know, so, so we, we would say there needs to be constant exercise to keep the muscles active, keep them strong. Now, in the same way, intelligence should be seen in that light. So it's not so much that, you know, you focus on intelligence when you're the first 10 years of life and then you leave your brain alone to rot away. You know, uh, intelligence, I think intelligence levels need to be maintained. You know, through exercise, through practice, through stimulation. So even on the other side of the coin, we talk about for old age, you know, when you're 60, 70, 80, the way to keep your mind sharp is to keep your mind active. So whether it's by reading, you know, doing sudokus, puzzles, exercises, playing bridge. I mean, you know, some of my former students once did a study that showed people who play mahjong every day, you know, had a higher level of, you know, whether it's memory or whatever it is because they were just keeping their brain active. So playing games, you know, that involve things like short-term memory, strategy. So I would say uh, it's true that the first 10, 12 years of life are absolutely critical as a starting point to build up intelligence, but it never ends, you know. I think keeping our mind sharp, uh, similar analogy to keeping our bodies fit. Now that's something that is continuous and lifelong. Right? What, what advice would you give parents uh, as to how to go about develop their child's intelligence? And, and should they focus on one intelligence if they saw that their child seems to be uh, particularly uh, good at that, that aspect of their, their, their brain? I would say that the key is stimulation. The, the key is uh, creating opportunities for the child to build their intelligence by using their intelligence. So again, going back to my analogy of physical muscles, you know, I mean, you want your child to be fit, then they need to exercise. You know, uh, you want them to have strong leg muscles, then get them to run around, you know, and, and, and this is something that you do every day and make it fun, you know, so let them play football, let them go rock climbing, you know, let them go jogging, running, cycling. Uh, you know, the more variety, the better. Now, I think in the similar way, when we talk about, you know, exercising the brain, uh, it's about parents opening up their child's world uh, to the whole myriad and variety of, you know, um, uh, activities that involve uh, stretching the mind, involve absorbing different kinds of information, learning new facts and ideas, uh, problem solving, you know. So I think that would be sort of the general principle that, that a parent's job is to say, how do I, you know, create an environment in my home that is stimulating to my child? So it starts off with even, you know, what they get to play. I mean, we, we, we often, educators talk about the fact that there's no distinction between play and learning. 
And play is learning. In fact, the most effective way of learning is play. And so, uh, you know, are we cre- are we giving uh, children the kind of toys that that help them, for example, stretch their imagination? I mean, I've always told parents that the best kind of toys involve a, a kid's active engagement. So it's not the kind of toys where they are sitting down and in a very passive way just observing. So, so toys shouldn't just be a, a thing to consume, you know. It's just something mechanical. They wind it up and they look at it for hours, you know. It should be something that they can interact with. So that's why building blocks like Lego has been really, really popular, you know. Any kind of building toy, any kind of toy that involves creativity, you know. So even, you know, when we were growing up, things like action figures or, or you know, things that involve us being able to create worlds, build different uh, settings, uh, you know. Uh, these were the kind of uh, toys that um, I think challenged uh, the mind, you know, uh, and, and challenged the, the child's imagination, uh, perspective taking, uh, things like that, you know. But look, I mean, there are so many examples of this. So whether it, it's, it's, you know, uh, getting our children, uh, exposing our children to different settings, languages, uh, taking our children to travel to different locations so that they're exposed to different ideas, cultural settings, you know, uh, and therefore we, we are stretching their adaptive intelligence, contextual intelligence. I, I think any activity that stimulates the brain really feeds the mind. So um, if we see that our child is uh, very um, strict on saying, um, you know, I'm very good at math, but I, I just can't do languages. Uh, that, that's a fixed mindset over there, which is a whole other story. But what do we do? Because we do know that in this world that we live in, we do need to develop this, this area as well. Absolutely. We can't just go about with one or two key skills and that's So it. I'm a generalist. I, I, I'm one of those who believes that rather than focusing on one or two, we really need to develop, you know, uh, different skill sets and different types of intelligences. And, and I think, you know, anything below the age of 15 or 16 is really too young to specialize. So, so my own, you know, I think philosophy or model of education is that uh, until 15 or 16, you know, children should, uh, you know, be encouraged to develop in all forms. And, and, you know, we, we shouldn't be labeling kids as, oh, you're good at science, you're good at math, you're good at arts, you know. So I, I'm certainly not an educator or a parent that advocates for that kind of labeling so early on, you know. I agree. I mean, at some point, by the time they're 16, 17, 18, you know, kids will have to make decisions in terms of careers, pathways, talents, interests. But but I, I would say not before the age of 15, 16. I, I think until that stage, Really, the parents' goal should be to expose them to as many different areas as possible and find a child may be struggling to find interest or, or, or strength in a particular area. But look, you know, I mean, the, the approach to education is still to, to give them opportunities to nurture, encourage, motivate them to develop areas because it, it's too young. I mean, certainly at 7, 8, 9, 10 to say, oh, you know, okay, so you're bad at math, therefore you're not good at math. I mean, sometimes it's due to maybe a teaching approach, you know, it's due to the fact that, um, you know, maybe a child hasn't taken to a particular subject or, you know, maybe they are match uh, with a particular teaching style in the school is not a good match, but it's certainly not an indicator that a child lacks intelligence in a certain area. So I would say, uh, I, I would say as parents, we should still, you know, um, in a sense, cultivate uh, interests uh, in uh, multiple uh, of different areas rather than specialize early on. 
You mentioned 15, 16, they have to make choices. And uh, I, I understand our education system kind of forces this to happen. But is there another reason for, for that age to be uh, the time that you need to make these decisions? I think it's a practical reason. Uh, the fact that, you know, I mean, approaching university, uh, you know, at 18, 19, um, that there at some point, you know, I mean, the child do, does need to make certain decisions about what they want to do in terms of their future vocation, career, uh, but also in terms of subjects, you know, I mean, by the time they are in Form 4 or you know, year, year 10 uh, for international schools, I mean, they, they will need to make some uh, subject choices. So I, I, I think it's more a practical reason than a biological one. You know, I mean, in fact, uh, for adults, we always say it's never too late to actually broaden your interests and your intelligences. So, you know, I mean, um, for myself, I mean, I only got interested in science when I was an adult. You know, I, I, there, there are so many new fields that we are still reading and, and learning about. So I think in, in the context of lifelong learning, uh, there are no restrictions, there are no boundaries, there are no limits. Uh, in terms of our children's education, like you say, because they're sort of funneling to university or college or may, you know, some children may even decide they are, they are not going to university, they want to go out and try a certain profession or vocation. It's, like I say, a more practical uh, reason that, that at some point, you know, 20, 30 different interests uh, might need to be funneled into one or two so that they can make certain life choices about what they want to do in their lives. So so when it comes to that stage, I suppose uh, it, it pays to think a little bit broader and say, look, uh, this is what you need for university and for your grades and to do well and get a job in the end. But at the same time, don't forget your other interests as well Absolutely. because you should have other uh, Absolutely. Topics. So so it, it's not about then saying, well, because you want to be an engineer, therefore... You know, you, you want to neglect your linguistic intelligence or your language intelligence or, you know, the love for literature. No, of course not. You know, I, I think uh, uh, that there is a difference between the development of the mind and, you know, a preparation for a career and a vocation. And, and while the two things, there is some overlap. I mean, it's not exactly the same thing. So you're right. I mean, as parents, we tell our children, look, never stop learning, you know, never stop feeding your interests and intelligence. Like I say, it's like jogging every day. I mean, you never neglect it. So just because, for example, you come out of school or you graduate from university doesn't mean you stop learning. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that you, you do every day, you know, and, and um, in the same way as we say, well, you know, school and university, in a sense, gives you the skills to learn rather than, you know, uh, defines the scope or the limits of your learning. I think we say, well, your intelligence is a, a tool uh, that you take with you as long as you're alive, you know, and, and that's something that you continue to build on rather than, you know, to see it as linked to formal education. All right. Any, any final thoughts, Dr. Go? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, 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 for, for parents with young children, I mean, um, you know, this, this intelligence uh, is often uh, fueled by uh, a curiosity that children have naturally. Right? So we call this intellectual curiosity. And this is something all children are born with. You know? So uh, you notice that for younger children from the age of two, three, four, five, you know, they are naturally inquisitive about the world. They'll ask you 101 questions. And, and I think the key is, is always answer questions. You know, always take this curiosity seriously. Encourage it rather than, than you know, kill it. Uh, you know, that there's something unfortunate that happens 
Uh, I think with a lot of schools and education systems that at some point in their life, humans sort of lose this intellectual curiosity, you know, because I, for whatever reason, maybe we become too exam-centric, maybe, you know, we lose this love of learning. But you see, the, the human mind, along with intelligence, is built with this, you know, automatic mode to seek uh, information, to master the environment. This is sort of a survival skill. And so this intellectual curiosity is, is there. Uh, I think parents' and teachers' role is to keep it alive. And so one of the ways of keeping it alive is always feed the interest, you know, always, uh, you know, when children ask questions, answer them. When children want to learn things beyond the school curriculum, encourage it, don't, don't limit it, you know. And, and I think if by the time your child is 17, 18, and still has this natural curiosity, meaning they're still interested in it. You know, why, why are hurricanes this way? Why are rainbows this way? Why is the sun, you know, red and, and that kind of thing? And, and they are curious about everything, about technology, about, you know, about, about the, the natural world, about geography, about science. Now, then I think mission accomplished. You know, you, you, you have actually developed a young adult that is uniquely ready and prepared to thrive, I think, in a... In, in, in this fourth industrial revolution world, in this world where data analytics, um, you know, where, where information is so freely available on the internet, you know, I mean, to me, that's, that's really the key mindset to have, you know, I mean, it, it, it's quite sad that most people don't have curiosity and an age where it's the easiest to find information. There's sort of a mismatch and a disconnect, you know, you know that in this like I say, data analytics age, I mean, information is all over the place, but so few young people actually still have that curiosity to plug into that information. So again, I think my, my, my ending message is, you know, you want to encourage intelligence, encourage this intellectual curiosity. Do we see a lot of uh, deficits <laughs> in the current uh, workforce? I think they are. You know, I, I, I think a lot of employers do complain about the fact that a lot of a lot of young graduates lack intellectual curiosity, you know. Um, I, I think that's sad. I think generally it, it, it's true, which is the fact that at some point people have lost this love of information and knowledge. And so it, it becomes a mindset where, well, you, you just tell me what I need to know. And, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm so used to being spoon-fed that it's more, okay, tell me the answer. You tell me the answer, I'll, I'll, you know, spit out whatever it is you want, you know, so... Uh, that's very different from how we are born, which is, you know, I mean, we've got this wonderment in the eyes. And, you know, like I say, most most living organisms, animals and human beings have this program because this is a survival instinct. So you're born into the world and you realize that in order to survive in this world, very quickly, you need to understand your environment. You need to know what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. You, you need to, like I say, master your environment. And so in a sense, the, the intelligence we have it's a survival mechanism. You know, the intelligence survive because they're able to very quickly understand their world and therefore they are more likely to survive because they know, you know, what kills you, what doesn't kill you, what you can eat, what you don't eat, you know, how to keep away from predators, you know, that kind of thing. So so you, you have to understand, I mean, intelligence from uh, from uh, evolutionary perspective isn't so much to pass exams, you know, intelligence was just to survive your environment. So, uh, as I've said, something has happened maybe that is a bit unnatural that has taken away that love for information or knowledge. You know, to the extent where a lot of children, for example, I hear nowadays, say, oh, I hate science. And I'm saying, 
that's crazy because science is about the world, you know. I mean, if you want to live in this world, how can you not want to understand the world, you know, or uh, or in a global world, how can you not want to understand geography, you know? I mean, that our culture. So, so like I say, I think it's 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 an interesting paradox, like You know, the the more easy it is to get information, it's as though we let we 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 value it less, you know, and 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 that's a shame. Oh, definitely. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Dr. Go. Thank you. You've been listening to Leadernomics FM, the science of building leaders.